Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. When archaeologists first came across the site in southeastern Turkey known as Gobekli Tepe, they dismissed it as simply a medieval graveyard. At the time, all that was uncovered were a few broken slabs of limestone that the experts thought were just gravestones. But nothing could be further from the truth. In 1994, archaeologist Klaus Schmidt dug deeper into the unassuming hill and made a discovery that upended not only everything we know about the site, but it also changed everything we know about ancient people as well. Beneath the earth lay a sprawling megalithic temple, which is now considered to be the oldest such structure ever discovered. This temple at Gobekli Tepe is believed to have been built somewhere between 11,000 and 12,000 years ago. This was a religious temple that would have been built at a time when humans were thought to be living a completely hunter-gatherer lifestyle. The common wisdom had long been that hunter-gatherers would have had no time for organized religion, which was thought to only come about after the development of agriculture. But this discovery completely changed what we know about ancient man. It also proves there are still many more secrets from deep into the past that we have yet to uncover. Around the world, there are all sorts of massive stone structures that contain hidden secrets yet to be uncovered. Think of Stonehenge, or Chichen Itza, or the Pyramids of Egypt. All these places remain mysterious in their own right because there is so much we still don't know about them, and in particular, how they were built. Around the world, there are many megalithic structures that seemingly defy reason how ancient people with no access to modern tools or construction equipment could have built them. Now, of course, the simplest explanation for most of these wonders of the ancient world are that they had a massive human workforce properly motivated to construct them. Sorry, ancient aliens. But down near Homestead, Florida, stands another much more modern megalithic structure that paranormal enthusiasts point to as proof that ancient people had access to advanced technology and mysterious forces far beyond our modern comprehension. It's a place that's commonly referred to today as the Coral Castle. Although when it was built, its creator called it Rock Gate Park. It was constructed from approximately 1,100 tons of locally quarried oolite limestone. The entire park is surrounded by an 8-foot wall, with each block weighing 15 tons each. The largest single block used in the park's construction weighs 30 tons and the tallest block is 25 feet high. But the most remarkable thing about the Coral Castle is that the entire structure was built by just one man. He was a relatively small Latvian immigrant named Edward Leedskalnin, who stood just five feet tall and weighed somewhere in the neighborhood of 100 pounds. 
But somehow, this one slender man managed to build this massive structure over a span of 28 years, between 1923 to his death in 1951. Edward Leeds Skelton managed to quarry, cut, and move each of these enormous coral blocks all by himself, with only crude tools, and some claim the invisible forces of magnetism. Today, we can only guess how Ed managed to build his coral castle, not to mention why. Back during the time he was still alive, Ed would make bold claims that he had come to learn the secrets of electricity and magnetism, and that he had even managed to tap into the real secrets of how they built the ancient pyramids. I'm Nate Hale, coming to you live from my ancient podcasting studio in the lost city of Atlanta, and this is The Conspirators. To understand Edward Leeds Skelman, I first have to describe the Coral Castle itself. Today, it is located in the unincorporated territory of Miami-Dade County, between the cities of Homestead and Leisure City. The entire structure is built of oolite limestone, a sort of porous rock composed largely of dead coral. The grounds of the castle are built from approximately 1,100 tons of stone, all held together by gravity instead of mortar. In addition to the structure itself, the Coral Castle also includes a variety of special features, many of which are each carved from a single piece of limestone. This includes an accurate sundial, a Polaris telescope, a massive obelisk, a barbecue, a water well, a fountain shaped like a crescent moon, and several pieces of furniture. This furniture includes a large heart-shaped table, another table in the shape of Florida, a bathtub, beds, a throne, and 25 rocking chairs, most of which are carved from single blocks of stone. One of the most famous features of the Coral Castle is the 9-ton, 8-foot-tall revolving gate. This gate was built so precisely it fits within a quarter inch of the surrounding walls. It was also so perfectly balanced a child could push it open with a touch of a finger. The gate's fluid movement remained a mystery until 1986 when it suddenly stopped working. It took six burly men and a 50-ton crane to remove the gate and see how it was built. Edward Leeds Skelton had somehow drilled a hole straight through the middle of the heavy slab of rock and inserted a metal shaft which he rested on an old truck bearing. It was when the bearing finally rusted out more than 40 years after it was built that it ceased working. The work crew attempted to replace the mechanism, but it never worked the same way again. The new mechanism failed in 2005 and has since stopped working altogether. Today, it remains a mystery how Edward Leeds Skelton could have single-handedly built this gate to be such an engineering marvel, along with all the other features found throughout the park. Edward Leeds Skelton, the man, is nearly as much of a mystery as his remarkable castle is. Historians have been able to piece together some of Ed's history, both from Ed's own writings, as well as traveling back to his native Latvia and talking to friends and relatives. But even still, questions remain that likely will never be fully answered. 
There has been a lot written about Edward Leeds Scalman in the decades since his death. Numerous magazine and newspaper articles have been written trying to crack the secrets the man took to his grave. Unfortunately, a lot of what has been printed is purely speculative or just flat out wrong. It's understandable, too. While he was alive, Ed was a shy and quiet individual. He never married, and he had few close friends or family in the United States. He never joined any organizations, nor did he ever hold any real jobs. The only legacy Ed left to the world are five self-published pamphlets expressing his rather controversial views on love, politics, and science. And, of course, the Coral Castle itself. Ed was most likely born in 1887, although exactly when is another question mark. On his registration card, when he first emigrated to the United States, he listed his birthday as January 12, 1887, while his death certificate lists his date of birth as August 10th. We do know he was born in Latvia, and that he filed for a border crossing from Canada to the U.S. in 1913. He was born the fifth son of a typical Latvian couple. His early years were spent growing up in a hilly countryside in relative poverty. Ed grew up farming and tending the family livestock. It's believed Ed attended school up to the fourth grade and that most of his knowledge was what his family taught him. By the time Ed was in his 20s, he could read, write, and probably speak at least three languages. It's been said that one other skill Ed learned from his father, uncles, and other members of his family was the art of cutting stone. Some stories say the Leeds Skullnins were a family of stonecutters, while still others claim they were carpenters. Since 1721, Latvia had been part of the Russian Empire. Civil unrest had been simmering beneath the classes for centuries. The poor working class people like the Leeds Skullnins resented the oppressive autocratic rule of Tsar Nicholas II. Out of all this anger and resentment grew groups like the Latvian Social Democratic Workers' Party. On January 9, 1905, groups of demonstrators gathered in the streets of St. Petersburg to deliver a petition to the Tsar to show greater leniency toward workers. But the demonstration erupted into violence as Russian Cossacks opened fire into the crowd, killing and wounding hundreds of people. Four days later, on January 13th, 10,000 supporters staged a massive strike along the banks of the Dagava River in Riga. Soldiers attacked the protesters, killing 73 more and wounding countless others. After the shooting started, many ran out onto the icy river and drowned. News of this slaughter sparked a massive uprising in Latvia. Throughout the eastern region, peasant farmers burned the estates of the Russian lords. The military rose up in an attempt to quell the civil unrest. But further revolts continued. The Tsar demanded the military take action. Thousands of arrests occurred and many Latvians were exiled to Siberia. Ed's own brother Ernest was swept up in one of those dragnets and sent to prison in St. Petersburg. Although there isn't any direct evidence Ed actively participated in this budding nationalist movement, it seems likely. By the time he was in his late teens, Ed would have seen the terrible retribution the Tsar's forces were exacting on the Latvian people, including his own friends and family. He would have seen neighbors fleeing their homes, many of whom left the country altogether. Some stories even claimed Ed became a straight-up anarchist and began walking around town with a rifle under his coat. There are even other claims Ed shot some policemen and even set fire to a church. 
By the early 1900s, thousands of Latvians left their homeland heading to England and the United States. Ed was one of them. Although there are multiple versions explaining why Ed came to America, Ed's brother Otto told his son Ewald that the Tsar's police were after Ed, and he was forced to flee. But the most popular story about why Ed left his home behind all begins with a girl. A girl named Agnes Scuffs. According to many of the accounts you'll read about Ed is that back in Latvia, he fell in love with a beautiful young girl 10 years his junior, when she would have been just 16. Ed asked Agnes to marry him, and she accepted. They set a wedding date and picked a church, but at the last minute, for unknown reasons, Agnes changed her mind and left Ed standing at the altar. Some stories even claim Agnes literally turned away at the moment she was supposed to say, I do, running away from the church, and Ed never saw her again. But there are some historians who claim this story isn't remotely true, and some who even claim Agnes' scuffs never existed. Some versions of the story claim the name of the girl who broke Ed's heart was actually Hermione Lucis, not Agnes Scuffs. And she was only a couple years younger than Ed. But in this version, the couple's engagement never took place because Ed wasn't able to pay the exorbitant 2,000 ruble dowry Hermione's father demanded. In either case, losing his fiancée would have been a massive humiliation for Ed Leeds Skalman. In fact, being left at the altar by a 16-year-old girl would have made him the laughing stock of the town. According to the legend, Ed felt like he had no choice but to leave his home and his family behind. So on March 23, 1912, Ed Leeds Skalman left his home in Latvia and headed to the land of opportunity, America. After Ed was processed at New York's Ellis Island, he made his way to British Columbia where he found work in the logging industry. From there, he continued moving around living for a short while in Douglas County, Oregon, and later in Texas and California. During this period, he was required by law to register for the national draft. Ed claimed an exemption because he still had not yet renounced his Latvian citizenship. Just a few months before he did register for the draft, Ed heard the news that the Tsar had been deposed in the Russian Revolution. Ed continued to bounce around the United States after that, some people claim he was looking for something very specific. Then in 1923, a chance encounter set Ed on the path that led him to the place he'd spent his entire life looking for. The 1920s were boom years for the state of Florida. Between 1920 to 1925, the state's population more than doubled. Entire towns were being built, practically overnight. New roads and rail lines were being built throughout the state. This also meant as more land developers pushed further south, they ended up driving out the native Seminole Indians from their homes as well. Easy credit from a post-war economy helped a number of eager land speculators come to Florida looking to take advantage of the warm weather and lush beaches. One of these individuals was a man named Reuben Moser, who moved to the Sunshine State from Topeka, Kansas with his family in 1910. Moser bought into a 22,000-acre parcel of land in 1913 that was part of a major land development attempting to encourage people in Michigan to leave the harsh winters behind and move to a sunny climate all year round. In 1914, parts of that development were incorporated under the name of Florida City, near the eastern border of Everglades National Park. At the time, this was the southernmost city in the United States that was not part of an island. 
As Florida City grew, Reuben Moser began selling real estate. So the story goes that sometime during the winter of 1922 or 1923, he came across a man sprawled out alongside the road. Moser pulled over and asked the man if he needed some help. That man, Moser discovered, was Edward Leedskalman. We don't know exactly how or why Ed made his way to southern Florida, but when Moser found him, Ed was clearly in rough shape. Ed appeared to be in the advanced stages of tuberculosis. Moser felt sorry for Ed, and he invited him to come with him back to his home. There, Moser's wife helped nurse Ed back to health. Joe Bullard, an author who wrote a fictional account of Ed's life called Waiting for Agnes, claimed he was contacted by a man who told him he had encountered Ed sometime before he met Moser. That man told Bullard that his father had been working in a Jacksonville bank when he saw this tiny little man ambling along the road outside. He was holding some sort of metal rods, which were likely dowsing rods, or witching rods as they're sometimes referred. These are metal rods which are purported to be able to detect the presence of water, or even invisible energy. The man seemed a little out of it, so the banker went and asked him if he knew where he was going, to which Ed replied, When I find it, I'll know it. Ed lived in Reuben Moser's tool shed for several weeks. At one point, he went to see a local doctor about his tuberculosis. The doctor told Ed he had such an advanced case of TB he didn't expect him to live another six months. But three years later, Ed returned to see that same doctor and prove him wrong. Back in the 1920s, tuberculosis was still not curable. So the question remains, how did Ed manage to not only survive, but regain the strength he needed to build his coral castle? Of course, the people who believe Ed managed to tap into the mysterious forces of electromagnetism also believe Ed managed to cure himself using the same invisible energy. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member? For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. Joe Bullard said that for the rest of his life, Ed would lay out in the sun, attached to a power cable that gave himself magnetic treatments. One feature of the Coral Castle is the circular slab that Ed referred to as his sun couch, which he himself admitted to sometimes laying out on to absorb the sun's rays. No matter how Ed managed to cure himself, by the end of the winter, Ed had grown strong enough to leave the Moser's home. From there, he purchased two acres of land from Reuben Moser for $12 that the real estate agent was glad to get rid of because of how unsuitable it was for human habitation. Just below those two thin acres of soil lay a foundation of thick limestone that made the land completely unsuited for farming or any sort of commercial enterprise. But Ed thought it was perfect for his purposes. He even informed Moser that this was where he planned on building his home. This is where things get weird. Somehow, Ed set to work all by himself quarrying massive slabs of stone out of the ground, which he was then able to lift himself and move into position. Ed mostly worked at night away from prying eyes. He also seemed to have an uncanny ability to know when he was being watched. 
Ed always worked when no one was looking. If he even suspected someone was spying on him, then he would immediately cease work. That isn't to say no one ever saw Ed working, though. But some of the witnesses who did observe Ed in action also claimed to have seen some rather unbelievable things. Some local teenagers once claimed to have witnessed Ed levitating several massive slabs of rock out of the earth like they were hydrogen balloons. This is where people begin to fall into two competing camps. Those who believe Ed Lienskalnin discovered the secret of anti-gravity and those who believe he built his coral castle through more conventional means. People who fall into the latter camp point to a few photographs that were taken of Ed and his construction equipment. These pictures show a rickety tripod made of tall pine logs with a block and tackle attached as the true method Ed used to move the stones. One photo in particular, though, exists that show Ed standing next to his homemade block and tackle. On top of that rig, though, is a mysterious box which true believers claim contains Ed's anti-gravity device. Ed didn't have any power tools or modern equipment to work with. He fashioned his own cutting tools from old car parts he salvaged from a local junkyard. Even assuming Ed didn't know the secrets of anti-gravity, the work he did with tools he made by hand is nothing short of remarkable. Cutting the stone wasn't as difficult as you might imagine. Oolite limestone is actually quite brittle. And using a series of steel wedges, Ed would have been able to pry the stone up out of the ground and either saw or wedge it into shape. Engineers who have studied Ed's work believe this is the true secret of how he was able to quarry the stones by himself. That Ed likely would have raised each stone out of the ground using skills he learned in the logging industry. Ed would use his block and tackle pulley system to hoist the stone blocks up on the logs where he'd roll them into position. From there, he would use his pulleys to stand each stone upright. Sounds simple, right? But keep in mind that many of these stones Ed was working with weighed as much as 30 tons. That's twice as big as many of the stones used to construct the pyramids. But not everyone believes this was how Ed built the Coral Castle. An article from 1958 that ran in the journal Civil Engineering marvels at Ed's skill, yet simultaneously remains baffled how Ed could have built everything so precisely with the tools he had available. When Ed himself was asked how he managed to build what he called Rock Gate Park, he remained frustratingly vague. He would often tell people in his quiet, humble way that he had discovered the secrets of weights and measures, and it wasn't difficult if you knew how. He would sometimes even claim that he had discovered the secrets of how the ancient Egyptians built the pyramids. Ed also played coy about precisely why he built the place, too. When asked, the answer he most often gave was that he built it for his Sweet Sixteen. Back in the 1980s, Billy Idol wrote a song about the Coral Castle he called Sweet Sixteen based on Ed's story. During his life, Ed never elaborated on exactly who his Sweet Sixteen was. The obvious answer, it was his long-lost love, Agnes Scuffs, who left him at the altar in Latvia. But even this isn't for certain. As I said, there are many accounts that claim Agnes was never his fiance, and might not have existed at all. Other stories claim Ed pined for a different young woman named Hermione Lucis. But during his life in Florida, Ed never referred to either young woman as being his sweet 16. 
In fact, some of Ed's own writings suggest his Sweet Sixteen might have been more of an ideal than an actual girl. It's also pretty icky when you get right down to it. Ed wrote five pamphlets throughout his life. Four of those pamphlets detail Ed's thoughts on animals, minerals, vegetables, and his magnum opus on electromagnetism. It's his fifth pamphlet, though, the first to be published, incidentally, if you're keeping score, that was about moral education. This pamphlet details Ed's musings on, among other things, the proper way children should be raised. He also writes uncomfortably about how he believes a 16-year-old girl is at the perfect, ripe age where she remains pure before soiling herself with sinful acts with boys. It's through Ed's writings here that we can get some sense of who or what Ed's ideal Sweet Sixteen really was. Just to get a taste of Ed's writings, one passage he wrote talked about his perception that the moral downfall of society could be attributed to churches organizing picnics and other social gatherings where innocent young women were paired off with boys who would steal their purity. As for Ed's other writings, Ed writes extensively about his belief in the power of electromagnetism. But at the same time, most of what he has to say on the subject doesn't really make a lick of scientific sense. He tries to justify some of his more unorthodox scientific beliefs by claiming most of the textbooks out there were outdated or wrong, and that only he possessed the real knowledge. When Ed opened his attraction to the public, he originally only charged 10 cents, upping that number to 25 cents later. In fact, you can find those admission numbers carved into the rock entrance. When Rockgate Park first opened, there was a place for visitors to leave their money, and a bell nearby they were instructed to ring to let Ed know they were there. Then when Ed was free, he'd come strolling over to the entrance from his living quarters. When Ed first opened Rockgate Park, he lived in a wooden shack. But later, after he moved the park to its second location, he constructed a stone tower for him to live in. Once the visitor paid and rang the bell, Ed would then lead visitors on a guided tour, showing and telling them all about the castle, answering questions along the way. When asked, Ed was known to give people deliberately vague answers about the secrets of the pyramids he claimed to have unlocked in order to build the castle. But what does that actually mean? Some theories about Ed suggest that the reason he specifically selected the first location of his Rockgate Park was based on his knowledge of what are known as ley lines. In 1921, amateur archaeologist Alfred Watkins made a discovery. He noticed that various ancient sites around the globe all appeared to fall into a sort of alignment. He believed these alignments were done on purpose and created a sort of invisible roadmap that crisscrossed the globe. Watkins coined the term ley lines to describe them. The idea is that these ley lines form a sort of invisible roadmap of supernatural energy that wrap around the earth and that at certain points where these lines cross, the energy is at its strongest and can actually be harnessed by certain individuals. Believers in the ley line theory point to the way certain structures like the Great Pyramids of Egypt, Stonehenge, and Chichen Itza all line up when you draw a straight line through them on a map. Although skeptics point out you can also draw those same straight lines through all sorts of other locations like your local pizza hut that never get thought of as particularly mystical. Nonetheless, it's these ley lines that some people believe are precisely what Ed Leitz-Galdman tapped into in order to control the forces of gravity to build the Coral Castle. In fact, there are some who believe that the same ley lines running through the Coral Castle also lead directly into another infamous location, the Bermuda Triangle, which is said to have one of its corners touched down right along the coast of Miami. 
One other thing you need to consider about all this talk of the location of the Coral Castle is that today, the castle is not actually in the original spot where it was built. But that just raises even further questions. Before we continue, I need to tell you about this episode's sponsor, Manscaped. Gentlemen, all men strive for gold in their life, right? Gold medals, gold watches, gold everything. However, there's a certain type of man who goes the extra mile. He walks with the confidence of an eagle and giggles in the face of danger. He's a big, hairless winning machine. And when he unzips his pants, he sees platinum? That's right, Manscaped would like to introduce you to their best and biggest ultimate hygiene bundle yet, the Platinum Package 4.0. Manscaped is a leader in below-the-waist grooming. Now trust them with the whole shebang. Join the 4 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped by going to manscaped.com for 20% off plus free shipping with the code CONSPIRATORS. Guys, we all know how important personal grooming can be. We let things go too long and suddenly we're being mistaken for a Sasquatch. So that's why it's worth the effort to keep things neat and tidy. Manscaped's brand new Platinum Package 4.0 is the biggest bundle they've ever offered, giving you a bulk discount on Manscaped's top products. The Manscaped Platinum Package 4.0 is the one-stop shop for the man who deserves it all. They designed this package to allow you to fully align your entire hygiene routine with elite products. Inside this Platinum Package, you'll find their Lawnmower 4.0 Tripper, Weed Whacker Ear and Nose Hair Trimmer, Ultra Premium Body Wash, Ultra Premium 2-in-1 Shampoo, Plus Conditioner, Ultra Premium Deodorant, Crop Preserver, Anti-Chafing Ball Deodorant, Crop Reviver, Ball Spray Toner, Anti-Chafing Boxers, and the Shed Travel Bag to hold your goods while traveling. The Lawnmower 4.0 Body Trimmer and Weed Whacker Nose and Ear Hair Trimmer feature proprietary advanced skin-safe technology to protect your delicate parts and holes. Both are waterproof, so you can shave with less mess. In addition to shaving, you can now completely upgrade your shower routine with the Ultra Premium Body Wash and Ultra Premium 2-in-1 Shampoo Plus Conditioner. You'll have your skin and air feeling hydrated and smelling fresh. Don't forget to apply their aluminum-free Ultra Premium Deodorant for that cologne-quality scent on the go. Thankfully, their Crop Preserver Ball Deodorant and Crop Reviver Ball Toner can solve this problem for you. Once they touch your sack, you'll never go back. Manscaped even threw in two free gifts to their Platinum Package 4.0, the Manscaped Boxers and the Shed Travel Bag. Bring your comfort and boxers to another level. The Platinum Package 4.0 covers all bases from head to toe. The best bang for your shebang. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code CONSPIRATORS at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com using code CONSPIRATORS. It's time you enjoyed the finer things in life and get yourself a platinum package for your platinum package. And now, back to the show. Back in 1937, Ed decided to relocate his massive rock gate park. Every ton of it. One of the common theories about why Ed decided to move his park was that he learned of a new housing development being put up nearby in Florida City that Ed was afraid the new influx of people would ruin his privacy. Yet another story claims some local thugs heard Ed was stashing money in his coral castle and decided to rough him up. The experience so frightened Ed that he decided to pack up and move away. Yet another theory goes that the real reason Ed decided to move the park was because he found an even better location that landed smack dab on top of a key intersection in the ley line energy grid. Whatever the reason, Ed bought 10 acres of land about 10 miles away, along US-1 north of Homestead, Florida, on April 28, 1937. Over the course of the next three years, 
Ed rented a flatbed truck and somehow managed to haul every single stone onto it all by himself and move them to their new location. Like all the other work Ed did, he would only load and unload each stone when no one else was watching. One story even claims that on one occasion the man who owned the truck was standing nearby when Ed asked him to step out of sight for a moment while he loaded the truck. According to the tale, the man turned a corner for just a brief instant, only to return and see that Ed had somehow magically managed to load a five-ton stone onto the back of the truck in just a few minutes. Ed began his monumentous task of moving Rockgate Park sometime around the late spring of 1937. By the time he was finished, Ed was in his 50s and beginning to slow down, although he did continue to add several more components to the new location. This is noticeable because the stone he quarried from the new location near Homestead is actually darker in tone than the pale, almost white stone he quarried near Florida City. After Ed moved the park, he also stopped talking about his lost love back in Latvia. He told some of his friends that he left her down in Florida City and that he didn't want to talk about her anymore. At the new address, Ed began erecting the eight-foot walls that surround the site today. This helped give the place even more of the castle-like appearance that has helped give it its new name. It was also in Homestead where Ed added on a number of other pieces, including the barbecue, Polaris telescope, and sundial. It's also because of these features, as well as a number of carvings of stars, moons, and other celestial bodies, that some people have speculated that perhaps the mysterious forces Ed was able to tap into didn't come from below the Earth, but rather from space itself. One legend goes that sometime around 1910, he met a young Nikola Tesla who taught Ed about the harmonics of the universe and how to harness them through radio waves. Ed installed a strange radio antenna and a length of wire that led from the top of the giant crescent moon he carved to the top of the obelisk where he'd carved the shape of a star. No one knows exactly what Ed was doing with his radio set. Although the most mundane explanation was that he may have just wired it all up to listen to music and news for free. Still others think Ed may have been trying to send and receive signals from outer space. In fact, according to some stories, Ed's amateur radio setup caused the U.S. government to pay him a visit. The radio was allegedly causing interference with the radio signals from a nearby Air Force base. Some people claimed that the men who visited Ed from the government were FBI agents demanding answers. Some theorists believe Ed was targeted by the U.S. government for suspicion that he had actually built a working model of a magnetic field generator that he applied for a patent for. Other people say that what Ed actually built was a working perpetual motion machine. But official records show no applications for any sort of patent by anyone named Edward Leedskalnin. After Ed died, though, one of the inventions he left behind was a hand-crank magnetic flywheel that some people claim was the heart of his perpetual motion device. Yet another theory claims the secret to Ed's ability with anti-gravity involves sound waves and special harmonics. Some witnesses even claim to have seen and heard Ed singing to his levitating stones. By the late 1940s, Ed was now in his 60s and his already slender physique had gone gaunt and skeletal. Photos of the man from this era show him looking even thinner and less healthy than before. According to the legend, one day Ed put a sign on the door to Rock Gate announcing that he was going to the hospital. Three days later, he was dead. This, like a lot of stories about Ed, isn't actually true. Ed actually spent 28 days in Jackson Hospital in Miami, 
He checked himself in on November 9th, 1951. Although some stories claim Ed died of stomach cancer, he was actually suffering from a kidney infection that led to blood poisoning. Chances are Ed arrived at the hospital too late to save his life. Ed's hospital records also claim he suffered a cerebral hemorrhage, probably brought on by a stroke. The final cause of death on the certificate is listed as kidney failure. Edward Leeds Scalman was pronounced dead on December 7, 1951. He was 64 years old. Following Ed's death, Rockgate Park and the surrounding property was bequeathed to a cousin named Harry Leeds Scalman, who lived in Grand Rapids, Michigan. But Harry didn't want anything to do with the place, and he instead sold it to a man named Julius Levin, a wealthy jeweler from Chicago, who retired to Miami in 1952. At the time, Levin didn't know anything about the park and originally thought he might develop the land and put in a gas station. But once he learned what Rockgate Park was, and the backstory behind it, Levin was hooked. He decided to re-landscape the property and begin promoting it as a major tourist attraction. The 1950s were a boom time for the Florida tourist industry. Levin poured his money into slick ads and brochures promoting the legendary Coral Castle, as he was calling it now. News articles began to appear in the Miami Herald and other newspapers about the unusual tourist attraction, as well as the mysterious man who built it. Fate Magazine did their own expose on the Coral Castle, and it's from them that they popularized a lot of the belief that Ed Leedskelman actually controlled gravity. Over the years, a few B-movies were even filmed at the Coral Castle. This included 1958's Wild Women of Wongo and a sexploitation film from 1961 called Nude on the Moon. In 1981, Julius Levin transferred the deed to Coral Castle, Inc. This corporation runs the castle to this day. The Coral Castle even made its way onto the National Registry of Historic Places, ensuring it will be preserved for the future. On August 24, 1992, when Hurricane Andrew, a Category 5 hurricane, tore through the Florida coast, it devastated most of Homestead. All except for the Coral Castle, which remained practically unscathed. Was Ed Leeds Scalman in possession of secret knowledge and technology? It seems pretty unlikely. But there's been so much mythology built up around Ed and the Coral Castle, it can sometimes be difficult to tell what's real. Some stories, though, are easier to doubt than others. One other tale claims that Ed's grandfather met an old wizard in Latvia who taught him the mystical secrets of megalithic construction that his family passed down through the generations. There are so many of these wild stories regarding the Coral Castle, it can be difficult to keep track of them all. But that's the problem with a lot of historical mysteries. Without direct evidence to explain exactly how something occurred, all we're left with is a lot of speculation. One other question underlying all this is if anti-gravity is even possible. The answer is complicated. In 2007, the physics department of the University of St. Andrews in Scotland performed an experiment to reverse the Casimir force, a theory in quantum physics that explains why atomic particles stick together. In the experiment, the scientists behind it used a special lens to repel the subatomic particles rather than attract them. Newspaper headlines declared that the team was able to levitate microscopic objects, or in other words, they had invented anti-gravity. Today, the Coral Castle is often placed in the same company as all sorts of other tourist traps around the world. Things like the world's biggest ball of twine or the world's tallest totem pole. 
But the Coral Castle is unique in the way it straddles the line between kitschy roadside attraction and modern megalithic structure. Perhaps Edward Leeds Skelton did possess secrets of the ancients that he took to his grave. Or perhaps he was just a very clever man with advanced knowledge of construction. If you've ever seen the movie Field of Dreams, then you've probably heard the famous line, If you build it, they will come. Well, Ed did build it. And a lot of people have come to see his remarkable stone monument over the decades. It's rather sad to realize then that the only person we know who never came to see the Coral Castle was Ed's one true love, his sweet 16. The Conspirators is written and produced by me, Nate Hale, an entirely fictional identity. Thanks so much for listening. I have some new Patreon supporters to thank. Thank you to Chris, Tom, Bill, Deborah, Josh, Gerald, Colleen, Stacy, Angela, and Matt. You're all amazing. Just a reminder that patrons of the show get access to all sorts of nifty bonuses, including stickers, magnets, t-shirts, and our ever-growing library of bonus mini-episodes. If you're interested in becoming a patron, I'll put a link in the show notes. Another great way you can help support the show is to subscribe, rate, and review The Conspirators on Apple Podcasts. Each one of your five-star ratings and reviews helps us out a lot. They push us up Apple's charts and simultaneously help spread the good word about the show to even more people. If you're not an Apple, not to worry. We're also available in most places you get your podcasts, including Stitcher and Spotify. We also have a website, theconspiratorspodcast.com, where you can listen to our entire back catalog of shows. I also encourage you to follow us along on social media. We're on Twitter, Instagram, and our Facebook page. Check us out at any of those places, or even send us an old-fashioned email at theconspiratorspodcast at gmail.com. I really love to hear from you. Thanks again for listening, and I hope you'll be back next time.